102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. With the drastic shifts in today's economic landscape due to the pandemic, many people are asking themselves whether they should be reconsidering their current line of work or focusing on how best to be more prepared for the future of work. You may not have to have the time before to consider upgrading your skills, and now may be the perfect time. Today, I'm talking with two advisors about how best to upskill and perhaps it's a reskill, depending on your situation. Basically, acquiring a new skill that will make a difference for the future of your work. First, I'm talking with Nicole Merrill, an upskill advisor and author of the career book Punched Out in the Face How to Upskill, Change Careers, and Beat the Robots. Thank you for joining me on Spark today. With the uncertainty and dramatic shifts in the economic landscape, there are still indications as to how the future of work will evolve and create opportunities. And with the free and heavily discounted courses available online now, this may be the time to take advantage of upgrading your skills to meet the future needs of work. You have your story that you can share how you started and as to where you were doing before and what you're doing now. Yeah. So um, prior to this, I was working at an artificial intelligence startup as a conversation designer. And it was a, it's a bit of an obscure job. But my job was to help chatbots sound more human. And I was recently laid off around the start of the coronavirus shutdown. And now I am upskilling by studying data science through an online program called DataQuest. Interesting. I want to talk to chatbots. <laughs> yeah, hopefully good ones. <laughs> yes. How would you define upskilling? Yeah, so upskilling is the act of learning new skills, whether it's formal or, or informal paths, to really improve your professional life. Um, I think of upskilling, you know, as using your, building on your existing skills, right? You're learning new skills to complement what you already have. And so you think about maybe a marketing specialist that wants to add video editing to their skills or a project manager that wants to learn data storytelling. Those are examples of upskilling and building skills on top of your existing career. For me, uh, I'm experience in user research and working on um, products, but I wanted to learn data science so I could learn to code in Python and then have more tools to work with data. Working with data is really one of the top skills in the workplace right now, so I want to make myself even more in demand for employers. So that's how I look at upskilling, and I'll say that it's also a mindset because upskilling is, is that willingness to accept that things are changing in our workplace and really take charge of our learning and professional development and not just rely on employers to show us the way. How is it different from reskilling? Well, 
So they're upskilling and reskilling are both two sides of the same coin. So reskilling refers to learning new skills to start in a completely different field. So, for example, think about maybe a server who wants to become a nurse. They need to go back to school and reskill. Or a project manager that wants to become a software engineer or a program manager that wants to become a digital marketer. Those are all examples of jumping into a new occupational category um, and reskilling. Often reskilling are people that are going to make big career changes. Um, I prefer the term upskilling for everything. You'll hear these used both in the same context. But I want people to remember that regardless of if they're reskilling or upskilling, they have valuable skills that will help them learn, um, that will help them through any learning experience and future job. And the foundation for both of them is learning for professional improvement. And you always use your skills. Absolutely, yes. When would you consider reskilling? Well, I think for some people, it's a very personal decision, but I think people in general reskill for many reasons. Among the top is for more money, for more job security, and just to have more options in their career. So you should you should definitely consider reskilling when you're feeling that flat feeling in your career. If you're just feeling stuck, you know, that you can't move forward or maybe you're, you, you can't make any more money or you're just feeling limited. I think that's a very good sign. However, that's a very reactive approach. Um, reskilling and upskilling are actually proactive approaches to get ahead of the changes in our workplaces. And they ensure that your skills stay in demand as you grow and as our workplace changes. Because what's happening right now is that we have organizations that are undergoing a digital transformation. That means they're using software and automation tools powered by artificial intelligence to really change how we work. So, a great example of that is when I was working at that startup, I worked on a chat bot that interviewed people. So that chat bot that was powered by artificial intelligence was used by recruiters who used it to screen and hire job applicants. And that chat bot changed the way that recruiters did their job. And so that's what we're seeing kind of happen across all industries and jobs. And reskilling makes you a more agile employee who's ready to adapt to those changes in the workplace. That's why, you know, anyone that's wanting to be proactive and, you know, adapt to the future of work now should consider reskilling. Okay. So do you think there are particular jobs or industries that would make sense to consider reskilling at this time? Um, I think it's going to depend. And it's hard to say because it's happening in different ways, right? So I think what we see right now is we hear a lot about retail and warehouse workers needing to reskill because robots are coming into the workforce. And we've certainly seen examples of that with Amazon. But it's harder to see as we start talking about jobs in the white-collar workforce. So, for example, uh, we saw last year the consulting firm Accenture announced that they had a software program that automated 40,000 jobs in finance, accounting, marketing, and procurement. And that means that those jobs, they either changed or they were eliminated. So what you see happening is that these changes are happening across the workplace, and we're heading into a future of work where you'll need a different set of of skills to be able to work with complex stuff, indeed, in your job. So if so, if you're looking at who should reskill right now, it's those people who are in a job where you might not be using digital tools. If you're in management and you're not working with data, it's definitely time to reskill. If you've been in your job for five years and you haven't learned anything new in a couple of years, and you're kind of on autopilot, then it's 
definitely time to consider upskilling or, or reskilling. I think what my biggest takeaway would be is if you're working for an organization that's regularly saying things like, you know, why should we change? We've always done it this way. You're going to be working in a place where skills are going to go stagnant, and that's definitely a, um, a sign that you should be reskilling as well. So it's pretty broad across most industries and jobs. Sounds like if your job is most likely going to be automated, you should consider reskilling. And if you're not digitally inclined and your job is most likely going to become digitally inclined, then you should definitely be going that direction and acquiring those digital skills. Absolutely. What about upscaling? How would you determine the right path right now and how best to approach it? Yeah, so upscaling, again, going back to, you know, building on your existing skills, I'd say start with looking ahead. What, I, what I'd like people to think is more of a, of a futurist, where you look look ahead and you start seeing what trends are happening in your industry and paying attention to them. So a good way to start is to learn how technology is changing your industry. Uh, for example, I used to work in international education and study abroad, and that is kind of one of the last industries that you would think that, you know, technology is starting to change. But in fact, they are already starting to talk about new technology like artificial intelligence being used to match people to programs and being able to find students for, for educational programs and so on. And that's an example of how new technology is shifting that industry. And so you as an employee right now can look where you're at and start reading industry newsletters to really get curious about these trends. Then I want you to think about, you know, what job you want next and, and figure out what skills you'll need for that role. Because for most people in the last three to five years, they've had, they've seen their jobs change. And you might find that the next role that you're looking at has some additional skills that you might not have thought, of, thought about. So looking at that, looking ahead and saying, okay, what are the skills that are required? And then I'd look at your own place of work and see if they've got any opportunities to learn for free. Right. So a lot of people are working for organizations that might offer a learning stipend. They may have access to online courses or even better, get yourself on a project where you're where you're applying a new skill. You're being challenged and ideally working with people in other departments. So that way you're collaborating. And these are really low, low hanging fruit here to be able to upskill and learn something new while you're in your current job. Outside of that workplace, you have a lot of opportunities to learn new skills, whether it's looking at YouTube videos, um, starting a side hustle, taking online courses, um, and so on. These are all ways that you can go about upskilling. The, the best approach is to really familiarize yourself with it and, and start from there and then start seeing what resonates with where you're at in your career. So look for the opportunities and hopefully you can figure out a way to try them out so that you gain that experience. Yeah. Absolutely. What about interdisciplinary type of skills? Isn't that something that one should be focusing on as well? Yeah, that's part of the shift that we're seeing in the workplace is really what we're seeing are employers who are looking for now combination of skills. They want employees with soft skills, technical skills, analytical skills. And it used to be that if you were in one job, you really only needed one set of those skills. Um, so, for example, if you work, you wouldn't really work with technology unless you were in IT. Or if you were a manager, you didn't really need to know the software or work with data. And, and so much of that has changed because today's organizations are complex. They require employees to be able to um, work across traditional functions. And that means they need to have the skills that maybe they weren't taught to have, you know, even 10 years ago. 
A really good example of that is the graphic designer. Think about a graphic designer. 15 years ago, if you were skilled, you know, you were a skilled graphic designer, you were very skilled in, you know, the principles of color and layout and typography. But now if you're a graphic designer, you're going to need to know, you know, the basic software like Adobe Photoshop and maybe some more specialized software. And many of those graphic designers have actually evolved into digital designers, which um, improve career options and help you make more money. And these digital designers are people that design online experiences. And their skill set is much more broad. So in addition to knowing color and layout, they're going to need to know things like coding and, and email marketing and understanding information architecture and, you know, Again, these cut across traditional functions, and that's what we're seeing across multiple functions. You're seeing these technical skills come in and soft skills as well. And I saw it back when I was um, a career coach at Yale School of Management. I had employers from all over the world asking for MBA graduates with business knowledge, digital skills, the ability to work with data, and by the way, they'd like good communication skills. And I thought, well, that's really shocking because most students don't come out of MBA programs with all of those skills. And that was just, you know, a precursor to what's happening over um, many workplaces right now. And that's a really good point. So going back to the example of graphic designer, you can't just go to art school now and have beautiful skills and layout. You have to be able to code. You have to be able to do digital marketing. You have to be mm-hmm. able to do SEO for you to really be able to skill successfully. But yeah. it also sounds like everything is going digital. So you have to have the ability to do whatever you're doing digitally. Yeah, absolutely. So how would you go about acquiring these skills then? Let's say after you've been laid off or you decide you want to focus on a new set of skills that would be more relevant moving forward. Well, I think first it's, it's about understanding your skill set. So um, when you think about wh- how we've been taught to think about our careers, it's mostly through the lens of experience, right? You know, well, I've had 10 years of experience in communications. Well, okay, but what have you done? And we're seeing a shift now from the employers looking for experience to, and tenure to employers looking for skills. So if we were to talk about the in-demand skills today, obviously you mentioned digital skills. So we call that digital fluency. That is your comfort with digital technology on the job, which are also looking for communication skills, which is a very big bucket. So these are like the soft skills, your ability to write, your ability to present your ideas coherently and collaborate with colleagues, right? Those are all very in demand in the workplace. And also data literacy. That's the ability to look, um, understand data, data and use it um, to make decisions. And that's, this is particularly important for anyone heading into management. So it's really starting with understanding what these skills are and then understanding what your skills are, right? So doing kind of that skill inventory. This is an, an exercise in my book where we talk about how to look at your path and look for the skills. Go beyond the job title and think about the work that you did and what skills you use to get that job done. Very different way, as I said, of looking at your work. And then you need a target. You need to figure out where you want to go. And that takes time, especially if you've been laid off and you're looking at making kind of this bigger shift in reskilling. You've got to find the jobs that interest you. You've got to find the career path. So start talking to people in those roles that interest you and get to know how they got there, what skills they're using in their job, and that's when you're going to identify your. So that way you can learn what skills you need to do that job, what skills you don't have, and then find a learning path that is going to teach you those skills. And again, that could be an online course. It could be a digital boot camp. Uh, it might be going back to school to community college or university degree program, or it might just be a certificate program. It really depends 
on you, your skill set, and where you want to go in the future. Sounds like you have to ask yourself, if I really, truly want to be successful and take it to the next level, I need to see where I really am at in terms of technical skills or digital skills. And then the second part is how well do I really communicate? And then the third is that there's so much data now that I have to be able to analyze the data and basically come up with solutions based on the data. Absolutely. And, you know, you can start small. You don't have to have all those skills at once, right? But if we think about over time, you know, being able to collect those skills, maybe you start off with just working on the digital skills. And then once you've got familiarity with those and you're using them in your job or maybe you're using them as a springboard to your next role, then you build on that. I can do, you know, software engineer is probably one of the most in-demand jobs right now in the marketplace. But software engineering teams fail to produce good products on a regular basis because they lack communication and collaboration skills. So if you are in an IT role, you know, work on those communication skills and get better at them. And you're going to certainly see better results in your career because of that and more opportunities open up. So those are the in-demand skills of today and the future. And you have to have all three sets down. How do you evaluate a program that will work best for you? Yeah, so it starts first with understanding your learning style. And if you've been out of school for a while, um, this, this might be a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we hear a lot about people who have taught themselves to code using all this free material online. But for most, the self-directed learning style isn't always the best way to learn. A lot of people need structure. Um, I personally, I, I learn better when I'm around people and I can talk to them than when I'm on, you know, on my own. And currently in our situation with coronavirus, a lot of online learning is happening, so in-person might not be as available. But the important part is that you get to know what your learning style is like. And you can do that, you know, by taking some free courses online and really reflecting, like, where do I get stuck? Where, where do I do really well? Um, You can also do it by talking to people who have gone through this process to find somebody that has changed careers and ask them how they did it and what their program was like. Um, Then you need to figure out how much time do you have. You know, reskilling isn't something that happens overnight or in the course of a month. It generally takes several months and sometimes can take upwards of a year. Um, So think about when you think about what you want to do and the time that you have, that's going to really drive what type of program you take, right? So some digital boot camp might be three months, while others, uh, if you went for, say, an online degree, it might be a year. Some programs are very intense where you learn a lot in a very short amount of time. So we think of, like, data science boot camps, you'll, you know, I've heard from uh, graduates, they say, you know, I'm spending eight hours a day working on projects for five days a week. So that's a really intense pace. Um, for others, uh, the program may be self-paced, which means you check into the program on your own and learn at your own speed. The program I'm in currently, that's self-paced. Um, the most important thing, though, is that you come out of this experience with concrete skills and work that shows you've applied that skill. So you want to evaluate programs to make sure that you're coming out of it with with more than a piece of paper. You want something like a portfolio. You want um, a proof of work. You want to work on projects. So look for programs that offer um, opportunities to apply your skills to real-world projects, and ideally, that help you build a portfolio afterwards that shows your work to a future employer. And this isn't just for digital skills. It could be for people that are learning to write, people that are learning public speaking, and so on. You're going to want to show off that work. Um, because that's how employers evaluate your skill set. I'll say it's going to take time. Uh, the first program you choose may not be a fit, 
I will be honest, I've failed out of three courses to learn Python and data analytics. Um, and that's because online learning is challenging and it turns out that sometimes we have things happen in our life that, you know, delay us. And I, I can tell you the first program I took, I thought I was going to be, you know, no data science in, in two months. And in fact, I actually had to stop for several months. And so you might be really ambitious, but be patient with yourself because, it, you know, you get busy. And um, I would say in order to figure out what path is really good for you, do that research to look for programs that offer those, those experiences, but also talk to the people that have gone through it. It's a slow process learning a new skill. It definitely takes time and patience. And you may have to try out different platforms to see which one is the best fit. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely worth exploring. Um, a lot of these platforms offer free, cor- free courses or maybe a trial course. I know that some of the digital boot camps often offer an intro to coding or an intro to whatever they're teaching. So you can get an understanding of the different um, teaching styles and the different work that you'll work on and take advantage of those because for, for a lot of people, as we get more advanced in our careers, we, we stop learning. And we're used to being really experienced, so learning can be very awkward. So take your time when you're trying these new classes and spend the time to learn these different um, platforms and go easy on yourself. You know, you, you may not get it right away, and that's okay. You made very good points. Thank you for joining yeah. me on Spark today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We are going to take a quick break. Be back with our next guest. Lee Pierce, who will share how best to earn or acquire nano degrees in your upskilling or upgrading process. It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. That's why KXSF 102.5 FM is looking for underwriters to support our station. If you are an individual who loves listening to local artists and bands, or you run a business that cares about cultural diversity in our city, your tax-deductible donation to San Francisco Community Radio is a great investment. To find out more about how to become an underwriter, go to www.kxsf.fm, click on Become an Underwriter, and help keep KXSF on the air. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Lee Pierce is an assistant professor at the State University of New York and helped launch their nano degree program. Based on her experience with micro-credentialing, she will share what to consider as you explore how best to upgrade your skills. Thank you for joining me on Spark, Lee. Happy to be here. In terms of upskilling, nano degree or micro-credential programs are exploding. And this may be the time to catch up or advance on the skills that we may be too busy to acquire when we had a job or have been putting off. So in terms of upskilling, can you talk about what micro-credentialing tied to nano degree is? Sure. So micro-credentialing and nano degree tend to just be two different ways of using them. Micro-credentialing is more of, I think, what higher education uses versus nano degree tends to be more what online platforms like Udemy and Udacity and Teachable might use. 
And what they are is exactly what you said. They're small niche programs. They can last three weeks. They can last up to a year. They come with some kind of outcome, whether it's a certification or a badge that you can put on your LinkedIn profile that essentially tell people that you have acquired a set of niche skills. And they typically take two forms. One is what I call the trends. And those are upcoming hot skills that we find ourselves, you know, on it. for example, right now, data visualization, really hot trend. So you're seeing a lot of courses pop up showing people how to take their data and make it visually engaging for folks. And then there's also what I call the fundamentals. And those are things such as like public speaking, which is what I teach, that maybe along the way you you really never took a concerted effort to get better at that, or maybe your skills have deteriorated, or maybe it's just different now in the digital era, and you're looking for a way to fill in that gap. And so these aren't full-blown programs because they're not generalist programs. They tend to be very specialized. And the tech sector is very familiar with this because the tech sector has been doing micro-credentials for ages in terms of um, specialized certifications for certain programs like that you might find on Pluralsight. I think the rest of the industries are now catching up with the need for that. Interesting. With these programs exploding and the lack of industry standards or oversight, how do you best approach upskilling, acquiring a nano degree or micro-credential? Sure. So I've worked a lot on this as part of um, a group of educators in the State University of New York uh, higher education system, looking a lot at, you know, how are these going to work and how are we going to make sure that they're high quality and how do you navigate this giant explosion of opportunities? And this was before the pandemic hit. So now you're seeing an even bigger opportunity for these courses to happen online. And essentially, it's actually very similar to what I just said, which is we look at trends and then we look at fundamentals. So you want to look at stuff that might be coming up in the next five years where these are things that you're noticing exploding on the market. These are things that you notice. um, There's a really great technique called follow the leader. So if you look at someone who's a little bit ahead of you in your industry, what are they doing? And where are you noticing that they have a set of skills or a set of abilities that you maybe don't have? That's a good indication that that's a trend that's forthcoming that you need to get on board with, as opposed to something that's just kind of going to, you know, you don't want to take every course in every possible trend. You want to make sure that other industry leaders have given you the the sign that this is a trend worth following. And then, of course, you have your fundamentals, your classic, what we call soft skills, even though at the end of the day, there's really nothing soft about them, but things like oral communication, uh, written communication, your ability to do critical thinking. And so you want to sort of think about both of those as being your guides. It's similar like your wardrobe, right? Your wardrobe, you want a couple of trendy pieces. You want a couple of classic pieces. And so you don't want to do too much of one or the other. You may find yourself overloaded in an area and underserved in another. So you're saying that the focus should be broad now. It shouldn't be really in one particular area that you need to have rounded skills across the board. Yeah, people should be looking very specifically at, I think they should be looking broadly at at both areas. So you want to have a trend and that might be, if you're a cybersecurity specialist, that might be um, like a new cloud security program that's coming out that you want to be certified in. That would be a trend. Or it might be a, a classic fundamental issue Like, for example, maybe you're very bad at communicating with other people or you tend to be bad at conflict management. That might be something that's more of a classic skill set that you want to acquire. What hot industries do you think it's worth getting certified? Sure. Um, I looked at some some trends and sustainability is really big right now. In fact, it's a joke that everyone keeps getting a sustainability micro-credential and no one knows what it means. But it essentially means learning systems that help you build for long-term instead of short-term gain. And sustainability can be anything from thinking about uh, like a closed loop on technology production, which is something that Apple, you know, really paved the way with 
recently and is becoming more of the norm for people to want to close the loop on their manufacturing so that everything goes back into the process instead of being wasteful. Um, or it can be sustainability and how you treat the people you work with or how you retain customers. They all come from similar system sets. So sustainability is a really big one. Lots of universities and online programs are offering sustainability degrees. Also, a big explosion in, in um, creativity or the ability to generate a good idea, because one of the things that a lot of people you know, sell is their ability to teach something in a new way or to pitch something in a new way to a customer, and yet people are not very good at being interesting. And so you're seeing a lot of explosions in courses with names like how to be interesting, how to be clever, how to create value-added products, how to take a new approach, how to create a framework. So interestingly, we're seeing a, a, a revival of, of the soft skill of just being able to give something a new approach or a new way of thinking about it, and I just call that idea generation. Communication is still big um, in terms of a soft skill. Oral and written communication continue to be things that people struggle with that hurt both their industries and also their ability to connect with people. And uh, data science and analytics, especially data visualization, very big right now. You know, you have all the data, you've done all the market research. Can you show me what that looks like in a picture in a story for, for just the general public to be able to process? Cloud computing. And anything with artificial intelligence is also going to be one of those trends that I think we're going to see stick around for a while. Well, with idea generation, I can help think that it's also because the life cycle of most products are so yes. much shorter now. Yeah. Right. And then I think you make a good point about communication. If you if you can't communicate the value of what you're doing or your product, then no one's going to be able to appreciate it and want more of it. Yeah, I do a lot. I do a lot with um, with um, like bi- like bio- like your about me page for for just anybody. I mean, cybersecurity specialists all the way to life coaches, and it's shocking how bad their about me page is because they don't know how to write. <laughs> and so, why would anyone why would anyone hire you? Why would anyone work with you if your about me page makes you feel overwhelming and incoherent and confused? <laughs> That's my so. I think communication continues to be one of those fundamental skills that you need to pair with one of those trends for maximum impact. But is it because they can't write or is it because they don't know how to communicate what is exciting about what they're doing? Sometimes their writing problem is they, they're overexcited. So they use 47 adjectives. And what, what that does to the person who's reading it is make you feel overwhelmed and like this person doesn't really have a good sense of who they are. So the writing challenges and speaking challenges and thinking challenges are always very interconnected because once you learn great strategies for writing a great media bio or a, a great pitch to a customer, suddenly you know what you do and, and they work together. And there are templates out there now where you don't even have to figure it out. It just guides yeah, you. I mean, yeah, a good. And this is, again, one of those courses. Um, I teach one through, through Georgetown University, and this is one of those courses. It's called Dynamic Communication for Business Leaders. And I'm not a business leader. I'm a, I'm a rhetorician, so I study language. It's pretty fundamental. You just have to find the right template. And that's why some of these online courses are really valuable, because if you find a person who has managed to create frameworks for a lot of this, then you're going to benefit a lot from getting that framework. That's why the nano degrees can be really helpful. They teach you these frameworks you can use over and over and over again. That's a really good point. So with the free or heavily discounted Mm. programs now, Mm -hmm. what do you need to consider when you're looking for skill certification? Sure. So in terms of how how I would kind of assess, uh, definitely word of mouth. I think that one is is common sense. But never be afraid to reach out on social media, like maybe on a Facebook. And if you're in a group, say, for cybersecurity specialists, 
hey, what courses have y'all taken? And see if you get any any lead generation that way. Because I always, you know, I think it's good to start with people that you know. If, if that's not an option for you, I'm looking um, for things typically that have money-back guarantees. So let's suppose you are on Facebook and you see a course pop up. I see this happen all the time. And it's a course on Udemy or it's a course on Teachable or it's just someone's website and they they are you know a specialist in something that you do and they're going to teach you how to do Pluralsight or A++ certification or something that you might need and you know why them and not anyone else. In that case, you want some kind of guarantee. Like I think if someone believes in their product or their service, they're going to put some kind of money-back guarantee. It may have strings attached. It may be only seven days. It may be you have to have done all the homework before they're willing to consider a refund. But you have to figure that most people who believe in what they do are going to create some kind of outlet. So I would look for something like a money-back guarantee or some places now will do something where, uh, which this is an approach I really like, this comes out of sustainability. If you do everything that's required of you in the first six weeks, let's say they'll extend your services an extra month. And so that's not exactly a money-back guarantee, but they give you more value added for more value in. So anything like that that, that in, implies that this person is really looking to reward you for good work, I think is a great sign of a really well-designed course. Also deliverables. If they can tell you what you're going to have by the end of the course, that's really important because if not, you're sort of just sitting there taking this course and there's no like, real tangible focused outcome. So if you're supposed to pass a certain certification exam, if you're supposed to be able to articulate what you do to a non, non-specialist, you want to know what it is that, that the two of you are working toward, and you want them to be able to tell you that. And then the last thing I would say is you want to remember that you're a learner when you take these courses. And a lot of the reasons so many of these courses fail is because having the information is not the same thing as learning the information. So I can set up a great course on Udacity. And they can have all the videos and all the worksheets and stuff. But if you are an average human being, you're going to stop doing the work in the middle of it. Things are going to come up. You're going to get bored. You're going to get overwhelmed. Life is going to get in the way. I mean, in this, I think, you know, we have this perception that a 45-year-old professional is somehow has a better brain than an 18-year-old college student. But my experience has been that's not true. Everyone suffers from loss of motivation, being overwhelmed, having stuff going on at home, especially now with the pandemic. So you want to look for a sign that they are going to treat you like a learner. Do they have accountability groups? Are there going to be implementation sessions? Is there a real person that you can reach out to for maybe a weekly office hour or a Q&A? Are they going to do Facebook Lives? Are they going to put you into to a private Facebook group where you all can bounce each other's ideas off each other? Are, are someone going to comment? Can you tag people? I can't believe how many courses I see online where the person giving the course never once communicates with the person who's taking the course, right? The videos are there. You take the videos, you hand over the money. But there's no implementation, no accountability, no motivation. And so they're giving you knowledge, but they're not teaching you things. So you want to look for someone that's focused on that teaching component. That's a really good point, because I always wonder how is someone going to know whether the quality of his or her work is where it needs to be? Yeah. Right. Unless someone with more experience is giving feedback. And for a lot of these online courses, like you just watched a video, Mm -hmm. hopefully you have some practice and then that's it. No one's giving you feedback like, Mm -hmm. okay, you need to tweak this. You need to change this and you need to do this Mm -hmm. part better. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're exactly right. So hopefully that'll change that they'll evolve their programs now that there's more offerings out there. Right. For more people who are interested and maybe they'll push for changes to the online platform as well 
Well, and this is that sustainability component, right? You might get an initial outpouring of money for someone to sign up and take your course, but people will learn pretty quickly that you're not you're not adding that teaching piece. And so they're going to go to someone who has thought about that. And, you know, maybe that course costs a little bit more money, but would you rather spend, you know, $250 for a course that you give up on halfway through? Or would you rather spend $450 for a course where once a week you get to meet with the, the instructor? So that's, that's kind of where the cost versus the quality versus quantity thing comes into play as well. What about the certification itself? Uh, for certifications itself, the big thing is, are they backed by the right industry? And so in some cases, like Six Sigma, um, all Six Sigma are considered valid in your industry. For other things like uh, life coaching, there's no oversight to life coaching. So you can get a life coaching certification and then turn around and find out that nobody cares about the certification. So this is where the follow the leader technique is really helpful. Um, look at what you intend to do with it, the, the kinds of clients you tend to pitch, the kinds of job you want to go after. Um, if you want to eventually be uh, an expert in your field, what are other experts in your field doing? And then follow where they've gone before. And if you do happen to find, you know, some of these courses that are popping up are great. They're by young, hungry people that have a new approach. Maybe they are off the beaten path. Maybe they're not, you know, in the network of the best Six Sigma certifi- certified practitioners. And maybe you are going to take a gamble. And that's a case where... Um, you know, you, you may want to talk to them ahead of time, get them vetted. Maybe you want to contact someone in your field and have them look at what you're thinking about doing. And just remember that that's typically those programs are much lower cost. So maybe you don't come out with the fancy certification in that case, but maybe you get someone new who's hungry, who doesn't cost very much, who can teach you really awesome stuff, but you're not going to have the shiny gold bauble at the end of it like you would if you went with a more established course. But then what you're saying is how important is the branding to your audience? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for most of these certifications, it's just like a college degree, right? Harvard is going to mean something different than SUNY Geneseo, where I teach. So if you're going to go for the off-brand, you've got to make sure that it, you're going to come out with such a tangible impact that by the time someone gets done talking to you, they're not going to care that you don't have Harvard behind you. It's very similar with certifications, right? You can have the best certification ever, but if you leave not being able to do anything with it, then eventually that, that shiny object that people saw it's going to fall apart, but you can, but you can do more. I think with an off-brand certification, if you, if it really teaches you how to make that of value to other people, which is more important, because in the long run, it's going to be the experience that you gain or you are able to yeah. build on that's going to make that difference. I recommend some. I recommend everyone have one shiny thing. We're all overwhelmed by information, and so people use high-ticket, like Plural Site, is a really, really well-established cybersecurity program. And so if you have a plural site certification, people are going to see that faster. But that doesn't mean that you should always be doing that. But I always recommend everyone have one shiny object just to kind of, you know, help the the audience kind of process them faster. But don't mistake something having a big ticket name for being the same thing as being a high quality course. Because there's lots of high quality courses out there that just don't have that kind of brand name. Good point. You should have one. You should have one. Have something shiny. Yeah, have one shiny thing. Yeah, agreed. What do you think are the top five skills by order that people need to have today to be successful? Sure, top five skills. Um, so I always go with, it, it's hard for me to comment, Like obviously like industry specific is going to be industry specific. But one, one of the cool things too is if you go on some of these course websites like Teachable, like Udacity, they actually have their top, you can actually look at their stats on which programs are the most in demand. Um. And I would look at their stats for your category. So, for, for example, if you're in artificial intelligence, look at the top 20 most popular courses that are being taken on Udacity and 
maybe look at a couple of different sites because, you know, you always want to wonder about the algorithm behind these things. And th- those will give you a good, a good um, idea about where people are moving in terms of what trends are hot. But in terms of those classic skills, uh, I really like the American Association of Colleges and Universities. They do a big employer survey every year. It's one of the biggest ones in the, in the United States, and they also go global now. And it just basically asks, like, you know, across industries. So we're talking about all the industries. You know, what are, what's missing when, when you go to hire somebody, when you go to work with a, with a, with a you know, a, a marketing company, when you go to work with a competitor, when you go to look at a competitor, what are you seeing as the weak, weak areas here? And in, in order of the weakest areas, oral communication is number one. So that's the thing that people, they think, are the worst at. That's what they wish more people could do. Teamwork with diverse teams. And there are lots of certification programs popping up now where, you know, great, you have a certification, but then how do you work? How do you work with a, an outsourced company in India? Or how do, you, how do you get past the language barrier? How do you get past the, the time zone issues? Um, written communication is third. Critical thinking and analytical reasoning is fourth. So I, that goes back to sort of what we were talking about earlier about how people being able to tell people what they do and being able to, to digest their skill set for multiple audiences. And then information literacy. So that's where it comes back to that data visualization, data analytics. Can you get information? Can you use information? Can you tell good information from bad information? So those are the five, and I use that survey a lot to try to rank things. And then in terms of specific skills, like I said, the follow the leader technique, look for who in your industry is, is hot, maybe a couple of steps ahead of you. Don't look at the top, but look at the people who are maybe a couple of years out from where you'd like to be. What are their certifications? What kind of things can they do that you'd like to be able to do? Use that as a guide. Thanks for the great advice. Yeah. And thank you for joining me on Spark today. Yeah, it was wonderful, Kelly. Thank you so much.